You are listening to episode 38. This episode is brought to you by my new course, How to Dominate LinkedIn with Your Personal Brand. Do you feel like when you're on the LinkedIn platform, you're not really sure how to actually navigate it? Does it feel clunky or confusing? And do you have all these connections, but you're not sure how to really leverage those connections and how to really show up virtually in presenting your personal brand? Well, that is what this course is about because since September, I've gone from 1,500 connections to about 8,000 connections on LinkedIn. Not only that, I've gotten clients through my content and people have actually reached out to me to speak for virtual speaking engagements. So if this is something that you would really like to capitalize on and take advantage of and learn about, then this course is definitely for you. And you can learn about it more uh, in my show notes and I will have the link to the waitlist just for you. And now on with the show. On today's episode, I get to interview Amy Ostreicher. Now, when Amy first reached out to me to be a guest on my podcast, all I saw was that she was a PTSD specialist. And I thought, that's great because I am a huge advocate for really taking care of your mental wellness. But when I got her full bio, well, let's just say I was gobsmacked by her story. Not only is she a PTSD specialist, she's actually an award-winning and award-nominated playwright, performer, and multidisciplinary creator. And if you know anything about my story and my journey with mental health, which I can definitely discuss at another time, if that's what people are interested in for for future episodes, you, you'll know that I actually could seriously resonate with her story of being a performer and actually finding healing from trauma through arts. And that is what she specializes in. She has not only overcome tremendous trauma, she has actually created a way to use her art and use her performing to actually help others as well. So she has been a writer with the Huffington Post, Rain representative, and health advocate, as well as she has done three TED Talks, all on transforming trauma through creativity. She's also contributed to NBC's Today, CBS, Cosmopolitan, Seventeen Magazine, The Washington Post, Good Housekeeping, and MSNBC. And not only that, her multi-award winning musical, Gutless and Grateful, has toured over 200 venues. So without further ado, I am so excited to introduce this guest and now great connection of mine, Amy Ostreicher, on today's episode. Welcome to the Okiki Podcast, where we make inspirational people known. Brought to you by your host, Fian O'Bayan.
Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Okiki Podcast. Today, I am honored to have the guest, Amy Ostriker. And honestly, when I saw her bio, I was amazed. She is a sought-after PTSD specialist. But not only that, she's an, an artist, an author, and a writer for the Huffington Post. She has been an international keynote speaker for and a RAIN representative, as well as a health advocate. She has given three TEDx talks on transforming trauma through creativity and has contributed to NBC's Today, CBS, Cosmopolitan, Seventeen Magazine, The Washington Post, Good Housekeeping, and MSNBC, among others. And outside of her contribution work, she has a vast bio when it comes to her actual performing and theater work as well, including a multi-award winning musical, Gutless and Grateful, that toured in over 200 venues. So I am so excited to have Amy on the show today. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Well, thank you for having me. So do you mind telling our audience, how did you get into theater and how did that lead into you becoming a PTSD specialist. Oh boy. Well, I did not get into theater. Like I came into this world, I think thinking my life was a musical. I mean, from the time <laughs> I could remember, I was always, I think it was a combination of two things. I, I was always creating stories in my head and I just always saw the hidden life in the world around me. You know, everything was animated and everything had a story to tell. And that's why, like, trees were my best friends from the time I could remember. Um, so I, I guess I always found the song and rhythm and voice uh, behind everything. And I loved just embodying that and bringing that to life. I mean, since I was, you know, like, three. Um, so, and I feel like I never lost that sense of both playfulness and curiosity. And then as I got older, you know, as a teenager and found my role, um, you know, and then literally rolled it in plays, um, it just always felt like, like my home. Um, so, you know, when I wasn't performing in one show, I was you know, auditioning for the next and, um, and writing my own stuff. So it, it's always just been a passion. Um, it's interesting wow. how that passion, you know, led to PTSD and, and everything else. You know, I started studying uh, with a very prestigious voice teacher when I was 15 in New York, which was a big deal for this girl in Connecticut, you know, taking the train in to, you know, work with this really big deal. Um, and he became my mentor um, because I realized, you know, or he realized that um, I really had this passion for the world and nature, which um, he understood too. And, you know, as a teen, you always feel nobody gets you, but and he really became my mentor. Wow. Um, then at the age of 17, you know, he took advantage and I was sexually abused for nearly a year. And yeah. I froze. Uh, I didn't know that was the term at that point. But I, I didn't even understand what was going on. I just felt the term would be, you know, out of body. Like I was somewhere else and I was just going through the motions of everyday life. And I could just tell that like I wasn't my like vivacious, bubbly self anymore. And I thought something was wrong with me. And so I kept going back for lessons um, until I just felt physically something just did not feel good. You know, now I know that 
you know, be what like anxiety feels like and, mm. and just um, feeling in my stomach and, and this obviously repressed anger because I didn't know who to direct it at or what was going on. And then eventually, um, after a year, I finally found the words and I told my mom the April of my senior year. And I was, you know, we were going to, you know, get therapy and all the next steps. And then, you know, perfect storm. Two weeks later, I just started getting a very bad stomach ache that wouldn't go away. Hmm. And to the point where my dad rushed me to the emergency room and I got septus. There, there was a blood clot on my mesenteric uh, artery, which could have been a stress ulcer or something. But as soon as the surgeons cut into me, my stomach literally exploded because there was so much internal pressure. Wow. And so at 18, April 2005, um, when I just gotten all my college acceptance letters, I was, uh, you know, my parents were told I wouldn't make it through the night. And I was in a coma for months. Um, then when I woke up, feeling like, okay, what the heck just happened? Where am I? Twilight zone. Um, <clears throat> doctors told me I didn't have a stomach anymore. I couldn't eat or drink. And they also didn't know when or if that would ever be possible again. So now I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, and I felt, you know, as a teenager, like I'm in prison. Like, and suddenly now on top of this, I can't even have an ice cube. And so eventually I was discharged from the hospital because I was stable now. Thankfully, I wasn't going to die. But the only thing was I had no stomach and there wasn't really a plan. You know, there's not like a surgery where it's like the illness of your stomach exploding. Here's a surgery to give you a stomach. Um, so I was told by doctors, you know, you're being sustained on nutritional IVs. So you're okay. So just um, you know, try to stay positive and, and do your best. Um, so then the problem became, okay, how do I live in the real world and do what I want to do and find a passion and a job and a role? All my friends are in college, but like, I can't even have a drink of water or an ice cube. Like, how am I supposed to function? Because, you know, the IVs were giving me calories, but you know, if anyone ever tells you there's no emotional counterpart or psychological part of being hungry you know they're crazy so you know I had to figure out how do I be part of the world but ignore my hunger and mm. so I was able to use creativity as my safe container like as soon as I was out of the ICU I auditioned for Oliver and I got the lead um, I couldn't eat or drink but it was so healing being in community and doing what I love. Um, and then I found creativity in other ways. Like I was so hungry that all I wanted to do was play with food. So I started a chocolate business so I could have an excuse to buy candy and play with it. Um, you know, I journaled, I found, you know, I found any way that I could still get in touch with myself while ignoring like a huge part of yourself, which is hunger. So it definitely was not easy. Um, and so to do that, you know, imagine what it's like if we're talking about trauma now, um, having to, you know, wanting to follow your heart and your passion and feel things, but you also have to intentionally avoid hunger, which is part of your body too. So I had to be very dissociated um, 
and you know it was very hard to connect fully with myself and so once I could eat finally after more than six years and 27 surgeries believe it or not um, I thought that would just solve everything but because food made me feel in a full capacity this was also the first time I was even thinking about memories of my sexual abuse. You know, part of me thought like, oh, maybe a coma wiped out all the healing I had to do from that. You know, that's, that's done. So once I could mm-hmm. eat, that's really when the emotional healing had to start. And that was actually the hardest for me, or equally hard, because physically I was all put together. So the outside world thought like, okay, you know, she's fixed, like she's fine now. And so part of me almost felt guilty, like, well, shouldn't I be? Shouldn't I be completely moving on? Um, Again, I knew nothing about mental health. I knew nothing about PTSD. You know, I, I had never seen a therapist through all this. Um, So I was feeling guilty and I was blaming myself, like, I'm dragging on my recovery. It's my fault. Like, shouldn't I be grateful? Mm -hmm. And so actually, I learned about PTSD because, you know, I had originally gotten into college uh, in the musical theater program at University of Michigan, which I was so excited about. Um, Now, you know, by this time, I was 25. Um, And I figured, you know what, I have enough life experience, maybe I don't need college. But after my 27th surgery, at 25, I applied to Hampshire College, which really changed my life. Mm -hmm. And I also ended up taking my very first science course. And the course was called the Science of Stress. Mm -hmm. And we um, we had to pick a final uh, topic. And I didn't know what to do. You know, I could barely make it through those labs. <laughs> and so I was thinking, like, what if I researched how, like, stress affects my life? Um, and so I ended up researching um, PTSD, learning about it, because I was also taking a psychology course at the time. Hmm. And I wanted to find a connection between the mind and body. And then I started learning about all these cases, you know, how... Um, PTSD and the freeze response affect your mind and body. Um, all of these um, studies of female sexual abuse survivors with gastrointestinal problems. But it really opened a whole mm. world where I learned that what PTSD does. And it really inspired me to figure out like, okay, how was I able to heal in my own ways through creativity and, and you know, bringing things back into my body? Um, and how can I make a difference? Um, and so um, I had learned so much through kind of figuring out myself, what I not now call my four skills to resilience. Um, and so, you know, that turned into doing what I love to do, like going back to theater, but with an even more forceful, like calling. Um, I ended up touring my one woman musical about my life, uh, Gutless and Grateful. Um, and sharing my story in my own words through doing what I love. And then once I learned about PTSD, I started combining it with talkbacks and workshops um, for college students and then for disability organizations and then for conferences and mental health, you know, keynotes and stuff, all about how creativity can help us transform trauma into personal growth and then community change. 
Um, so I think the most, and since then I've gone on to write so many plays and I've toured two other musicals. I've just gotten into puppetry arts. Um, so I guess the best part is I'm back to doing what I always loved as a kid, but with even more power and something to say and something that can really help um, other people. So I think that's what, why I love what I do. Wow. I um, really just... Uh, that was a cliff note version. <laughs> yeah, no. And honestly, the just the journey, right, of even overcoming that traumatic situation um, and actually having the courage to even go out and still perform and still show up. Because one of the things that I learned in my experience in theater school was literally just how exposed you really felt. <laughs> Especially yeah. when, uh, it's funny because I always enjoy performing, but one of the things I didn't expect when I got in that training was how exposing it really felt when you're trying to refine your process in it. And so I feel like it's incredibly brave that you not only overcame that situation, but you still put yourself out there. Um, apparently only like 1% of the world will do that. So that's already really interesting. And then um, what also grabs my attention is your ability to try and find other ways to express yourself in spite of the limitations. So for a while you couldn't use your stomach and you talk about how you, you found other ways to, to enjoy the senses of food that didn't involve actually you feeling the food. So there's just so many interesting points in there. Um, one of the parts I want to also get into is that creative process um, of creating art. Yeah, so I kind of want to backtrack a bit. You talked about how really the, the introduction of eating and feeling that sensation kind of led you into realizing you had to do healing. And so uh, I wanted to talk about that aspect um, for some people who may be listening to the show who might just be coming um, to terms with a feeling or something in their past that's coming up that might be triggered by something. What was part of the process that you went through um, to have that healing? Because um, as you mentioned, you had PTSD and, and people often associate that to like, you know, war veterans and different things, but exactly. um, I if yep. you don't mind breaking down that. Um... Well, of course. Yeah, a loaded response to that. First of all, I realized that one, there's no one path to recovery, but a good recovery is a few steps forward and a few steps back. Um, and that's mm -hmm. what it was for me um, for a very long time. And I think that's the process we all have, uh, period, because healing is an ongoing process. So when you say, you know, creativity was definitely the healthiest container I could find where I could finally find a way to be with my emotions in a way that didn't feel overwhelming. Um, because I think when we try to run from emotions, like grief and anger, um, uncertainty, you know, those are all examples of yucky emotions that we don't really like experiencing. <laughs> and so we usually run the other way. And we do that in a variety of ways. We, you know, through numbing out to those things like grief and anger and, you know, and fear, um, we can um, repress them um, and, you know, find destructive coping mechanisms to do that. That's why some people turn to alcohol or too much social media or overexercise or, you know, or drugs or, or things like that. So those are all containers 
to deal with them that are not healthy. So the point is you need to find your own healthy container. And the wonderful thing about creativity is you don't need to be like an artist to be creative. Creativity, you know, is just energy. We all have energy. And what I realized is, you know, energy is like water. It just fills whatever container you put it in. So like when I couldn't talk because I had a tracheotomy and I really just wanted to sing, you know, I had to filter that energy through other things like, you know, like pointing my toes and imagining I was doing a dance where like that's when you might want to, you know, smell spices and cook a recipe. You know, creativity is, my definition is any way we can see something from another angle. Um, And also it's very important when healing from anything that we don't just heal through our minds, like cognitive therapy, like talk about how we're feeling because healing is like a whole body effort. So we need to find some way to embody it, Um, whether it's like moving or even like walking or, or dance or something physical where like, you know, finding a grounding technique. That was a big uh, part of my healing. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm feeling this hot counter. I'm feeling my toes on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I had to hide a lot in my mind and my thoughts to ignore, you know, feelings that I tried to shut out. And I found that only when I could bring it into my body um, could I really move through it. Because it's one thing, you know, talking about, that like, oh, I know I should, you know, feel this grief and, you know, but to really feel it and find ways to be okay with it, you know, that's when you really, you know, move through it. Um, So for me, creativity was, that was the point to find ways to feel these things in my body and be okay with it. Um, And one other thing I want to say about, you know, theater, you're right. It is like a very, revealing process you know we have to be vulnerable and we have to go there I gotta say it was very interesting you know being spit out of the ICU and my first lead role I get is Nancy and Oliver which you know she's a battered woman talking Mm -hmm. about how she keeps going back to her abuser and you know at that time I I could feel like enough but I still couldn't feel too much because I couldn't eat or drink and I didn't want to get too hungry. So, you know, it was a tricky game I was playing that, like, do I want to go into, like, this whole pathway of what the abuse made me feel? And I think in a way I was still a little numb, which is why when I could eat, like, all the floodgates came open. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I work a lot with survivors of assault. A lot of people ever since the Me Too movement have asked, like, you know, what is the best way to help people overcome barriers to reporting? Um, how can we start talking about it? And the most important thing I want to share, not only for survivors of assault, but really for any survivor of trauma that has gone through the freeze response is it took me, you know, now I'm talking about it all the time, but it took me 10 years before I could put into words what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that was important. Like, that means for all those years, I needed time to process it through other ways besides words for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, trauma comes to us not in linear, cohesive thoughts. It comes to us in sounds and sights and sensations. 
So I needed to make it through art. I needed to express it in a song. Um, but I wasn't ready to write essays about it and tell my story. Um, I needed that time for me. Um, and I think it's important that every survivor of anything honors that there is no timeline, like a set timeline. You know, everyone's process is different. What's important is that you use the moments you can to find ways to slowly dip your toes in what's going on inside, even if it's just for a little bit. And then when it's too hard, you find something else to do. You find a distraction, like you watch TV or something. You know, I call it cycling in and out of trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to re-traumatize yourself, but you tell yourself, you know, for five minutes, I'm going to get a piece of paper and a crayon, and I'm just going to doodle however I'm feeling right now. And you go there a little bit till you feel that slight sensation of, oh, what is that? Oh, that's, um, that's a little tear I feel. That's a little, you know, sensation of grief or anger I feel. And then when it's too much, you put it away and you do something else for yourself. You know, you lie down, you pet your dog. Um, but that's how you cycle in and out. And slowly you'll be able to cycle more into what feels, you know, into that trauma a little bit more at a time, you know, and you go patiently and loving to yourself till eventually you can dip into it enough to move through it. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, I published my memoir last year and it's called My Beautiful Detour um, because I realized that all these, you know, through this, you know, finding ways to slowly dip into what happened to me, I realized that everything that happened in my life that I didn't expect led to something else that otherwise I never would have realized about myself. And it really has been a beautiful detour. But, hmm. you know, while you're going through it, it doesn't feel like that. But I think it takes, you know, when we're able to make this space, we can really see how trauma has enriched our lives. And I loved how you talked about that process of healing. I think that would be really good for our audience to just really yeah, see it differently because I I have to say I, I am aware of CBT therapy and all that, but I, I never thought of actual like, yeah, the creative senses as being kind of part of it. Um, yeah, like you said, the coloring, like all of that, just really thinking about all that as part of the healing process. So I, I love that. Um, Another question I want to ask you is that you have a really prolific um, writing career here. Uh, you've contributed to so many publications and you have a lot of plays and productions that you've written. And uh, I know that some people coming through a trauma and coming through some of these experiences are actually a bit exhausted. So I wanted to ask, um, how did you regain the energy to create so much work and such a vast yeah, library of, of work and, and productions. Because as, as someone with this background, I'm just quite amazed by <laughs> what I'm reading here and how many well, that That's what I'm saying though. You know, people are saying, listen, I'm giving, I've given three TED Talks. I'm giving my fourth one uh, next month. You're actually the first person publicly I've told. Um, but um, you know, I've published my memoir. I have two more books coming out. I mean, I've done a ton, but please understand that for the first 10 years after, I was just, you know, doodling to myself in my room or doing nothing or getting, like it takes time. And 
the truth is I'm also very thankful that during this time I didn't have any internet. Um, I wasn't on Facebook. I didn't have social media. Um, so I didn't really have an option to share. The truth is I worry about, oh God, what would I have shared if that were a thing? Because mm. I think there is a danger to sharing before we're ready to, you know, I needed that time to make a lot of stuff and then just sit with it myself because I know it was for me. And I worry we're in an age where it's so easy to just do something and just post it that we're not taking any time that it does something for us and moves it to the next step. So I think, you know, forget about, you know, having the energy to it, you know, you do what feels good to you. And if you're present enough for that, it will do something for you that moves you to whatever next step you need to be right now. And that's what creativity has always been for me. It's been kind of my internal compass that tells me where I need to go next. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah, what I have to say no, about that. Great. There's no pressure. You know, it's for you. And I, that, yeah. that honestly is my fear right now with me, especially now that we're all home and in our Zoom boxes, that it's okay to create stuff just for you. It's also okay to just create breath. You know, and just sometimes I have to remind myself that like we have the power to create just by inhaling and exhaling. Like that's how we make a mark right here. And I, I'm not being poetic right now. Like I, it's really true. I mean, like how many times a day do you just like stop yourself and be like, all I'm going to do right now is just focus on a deep breath in and out. And maybe I'm just speaking for me personally, but whenever I do that, I'm like, oh crap, I have not been breathing today, have I? I've just been going, going, going. Um, so I think that's that's what we should be pressuring ourselves more to do than anything else. Very cool. And I wanted to ask you, when was the first, what was the first workshop you got to do in, in leading with this um, area of using creativity for trauma? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, this what is your most memorable <laughs> moment of it. Yeah. Oh boy. So I actually write about this in my memoir um, because I knew nothing about conferences. Like I had, so the story behind this is I premiered my one woman musical Gutless and Grateful in New York in 2012. And it was a dream come true. And um, hmm. then I think, you know, once I went to college um, and I started learning about like the whole big wide world around there or out there, hmm. um, I just started learning about these conferences. And then, you know, I also realized that people came up to me during my, after my show and started telling me about their own experience. And I was like, wow, theater actually makes my story relatable. Like, I can talk about my stomach exploding, but people are sharing stories about any kind of detour in their life because they resonate with the arc of, you know, sudden change and finding resilience and healing. And like, you know, I want to just share it more. And so I started Googling conferences and calls for speakers. And my musical director, you know, was like, Amy, your, your, sh your show is for theater. It's not for students. It's not for conferences. I'm like, no, like I know there's something to this. Mm -hmm. And so I just started 
Googling and Google. One thing about me is my energy just does not end. <laughs> Anyone that knows me will know that. Um, so like I found one conference uh, and I was really struck by the title. It was called the Power of Words mm -hmm. Conference in um, Kansas City, which I figured was in Kansas, but no, it was Kansas City, Missouri. And so I'm like, <laughs> this looks fun. <laughs> and so, so I submitted this whole proposal. And after I submitted it, you know, I felt like it was also a way in writing the proposal, which was probably like five times longer than they wanted. Um, I could mm -hmm. also kind of figure out and frame, you know, really how could this, um, you know, be for everyone. So it was like a way of journaling for me. Mm. And then I found out a few weeks later that I got it. And it was like, I felt like, you know, it was like a, really a moment I'll never forget. Like I started crying, like I was going to be a leader for the first time. That being said, mm. I didn't know anything about how conferences work. You know, I was leading a breakout session. So, and I didn't realize, you know, when you're leading these conferences, you usually have to still pay for the conference. It's just like a little discounted. Um, and you have to pay for transportation and everything. And it was in Kansas City mm -hmm. and I'm in Connecticut. <laughs> so it wasn't the most yeah. economical decision. Um, flying over my, I flew over my whole family. We made like a little trip out of it <laughs> in Missouri. And um, you know how these conferences work. Like, i performing my show for an astounding classroom of four people. Um, but mm. it was such, and then for me, I was floating on air because I had proven myself that, and other people, it was the first time I, you know, I was doing anything like that. And then I was just hooked. I'm like, you know, I, I want to work with people. You know, I want to perform, but I want to make a difference uh, through what I'm doing. Mm. And, you know, eventually that did lead to keynotes and, bigger and better things but i also realized that every conference is an opportunity to meet new people find new ideas and it opened your world and that really came full circle because four years later i went back to the same conference which was now in vermont but i was the keynote speaker mm. um and the transformative language arts network that's what it was for it's part of um goddard college um college program and um, the, now I'm actually a grad student in Goddard's uh, Interdisciplinary Arts Program. Uh, and as a graduate student, um, I'm 33, um, and Goddard has changed my life. And I keep reminding them, I'm like, you guys changed my life back in 2013. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. very cool. So cool. And yeah, no, I, I love that. And I love your resilience, like show up. And even though it's like, it started small, it eventually led you to these keynotes and these huge opportunities <laughs> and yeah, just believing in the vision. Um, also, in the vision, one of your, yeah, what was one of your most memorable moments with working with someone uh, in one of these workshops so far that you can discuss? Oh my God. So many. I, I, where do I start? Let me think. Oh, actually one was, um, Oh God, it's hard picking one. Um, at the Mental Health America conference, I would say, um, the theme was, um, like, um, well, it was called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll, but it was all about how, you know, creativity can help us, like, form resilience and things like that. So I actually led a songwriting workshop 
um, mm. which was really wonderful. I talked about how songwriting can help us give a form and, um, and then eventually words um, through what we've been through. And at the end, someone came over to me saying, you know, listen, I, I want you to know that like, I always loved playing guitar as a kid. Um, and then, you know, some trauma happened in my life and I stopped playing and I couldn't go back to it. And I never really understood why. But after doing this, I realized, you know, why it was so hard to go back to it. Because, you know, I realized that music really puts us back into our bodies. Um, but after doing this workshop, you know, I, I feel like I have the confidence to start again. So, you know, that's just one of the many different things. And then, like, I actually, you know, the best kind of feedback I get is working with someone who, you know, starts with their arms crossed, you know, saying, like, I'm not an artist, I don't do creative things. Um, especially, you know, I've worked with uh, military veterans um, mm -hmm. who, you know, and, you know, do th I do theater as a form of embodiment for them. And a lot of them are like, oh, what's this theater kind of stuff? <laughs> but then the ability to actually embody a role and give a voice where you don't necessarily have to speak as yourself, but, um, you know, you can still, like, make a mark and, you know, have a different filter to say it through. And the human transformation is always really uh, amazes me and it's so rewarding. Wow, that's so amazing. Um, and my last question for you is what do you value the most today about your role and what you get to do for people? Oh my God. Um, again, shining light on the fact that, you know, you don't have to be an artist to be creative. Your creativity is something we all have. You know, a lot of us get told, like, you know, from our fourth grade teacher, like, oh, you know, that's interesting. Or, well, maybe I'm just speaking for my dad that, you know, <laughs> um, he was told by his, like, fourth grade teacher, ah, you can't draw. And he never picked up a crayon again in his life. But oh, it's not about thinking about what it should look like. You know, um, it's really something we all can access and we all should. Yeah. So that's what I, when I can empower people with that, um, it's always really nice. Yeah. And thank you so much, Amy, for really sharing um, your story. It's so inspirational. And I love hearing how you really overcame so much, but not only that, that you're really um, using your life mission to help others to be empowered to do that. It's just so admirable. And yeah, I'm really touched by your story and also your mission. So thank you for your contribution in that. Thank you for having and, me. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And um, where can the audience learn more about you and your projects and what you're up yeah. to? So um, my website has everything. That's com. I'm also on the Facebook, uh, Amy Ostricker, um, which I'm sure you'll give me your show notes. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, all that. Um, but go to my website <laughs> and subscribe. Um, you'll get all the info. Um, and also, uh, my memoir is out. And that you know, is not only my story, but how I healed and tips for everyone how to heal. Um, it's called My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. Um, I've given three TED Talks to which you can look up. And also a very exciting update. As of last week, 
I just finished narrating all 60 chapters for my memoir. So my beautiful decor is going to be an audio book. So yes, yes, yes. I cannot tell you how excited I am. I'm including some musical clips and some little guest appearances and um, some surprises along the way. So, oh my gosh, get the audiobook. But you can learn more about the book and all that at um, amyoes.com slash book, um, awesome. where you'll get all that stuff. You can see my TEDx talk at the same website slash TEDx. Um, but um, yeah, so... Um, my website will have everything, and um, you can always email me um, at lovemydetour at gmail.com. And if you have any kind of detour in your life, you know, that you want to share, uh, you tag it at hashtag lovemydetour, and you'll find a whole community of detourists. And if you want to learn more about what a detourist is, uh, watch my first TED Talk. I love it. Thank you so much, Amy. I will definitely be checking out your TED Talks <laughs> after this interview. And like I said, it's yeah. just it's such a great, um, yeah, just an honor to connect with you, hear your story and find someone who I actually can relate to a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, of course. So and we'll much. talk. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs>